You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So attractive. <laughs> I love you, Vince. You win, man. You win. Five dollars. I love you guys so much. Golly, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach that great. I just got so wrecked during worship. Oh, the goodness of the Lord was just washing over me. Um, <sighs> Eric, did you write that song, man? Eric, you wrote, what was that, the second song? Yeah. Come on, man. It's so good. And it was pre- <laughs> crazy prophetic that you sang it tonight, because I'm going to actually use one of the verses that's featured in that song. I just thought the worship was in this incredible prophetic flow. David Lucht, featured on drums tonight. Very first time. I was thoroughly impressed. I kept on trying to get into a position where I could like lock eyes with you. Like <laughs> making me dance. It was so fun. And Katrina's spontaneous song, Oil, All My Days, All My Oil, All My Praise. Golly. It was really good, you guys. And then um you know, uh, Amanda, what made you uh, want to sing those, those lyrics from uh, Alyssa Smith's new album? They have been wrecking me. It is so connected to the cloud of witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I'm going to need some help, Lord. <laughs> um, I, I wrote those lyrics with Alyssa. And uh, it was a real breakthrough moment. I'm a mess, y'all. <laughs> if you're. <laughs> good. He'll just redeem it, like even your worst choices, to the point where you think that he planned it. I wish I had prepared a a joke. I'm just really honored to uh, be in this role, and I'm going to just kick it off like Corey Russell would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. Chapter three, <clears throat> but for real though, <laughs> Ephesians chapter three. Oh Lord, we continue to give you center stage, Holy Spirit. Everything that you want to do, Lord, we're game. We give you permission. We give you access. We unlock every every door to every room in our heart. We even fling open the dusty old closets and the hidden hatch to the attic, Lord. (laughs) Give you access to all. Can you guys just repeat after me? I give you permission. I give you permission, Lord. 
<sighs> so um, can you put up Ephesians 3.16? We're going to read a few of these verses. This is one of Paul's apostolic prayers. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term apostolic prayer. There, these, these prayers are so important to me. There's so much life and power on them. They're called apostolic prayers because it's the prayers that the apostles pray that make it into scripture. And there's um, like a dozen of them. Um, but this right here, um, I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about this one tonight. Um, starting in, in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established or rooted and grounded in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. <sighs> That's a wild prayer, right? That a human vessel could be filled with all the fullness of God? Come on, Paul. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wild to see? Or maybe it's already happened and he's just stripping away the layers right now. <clears throat> you know, when, I, when you read this uh, uh, verse 19 in English, it almost seems like it's lacking a punchline. It, it says that you would know the love of God that's better than knowing the love of God. You're like, you use no twice there, Paul. Do you need to buy a thesaurus? <laughs> But it, <laughs> he obviously is, is writing in Greek. And when you go and, and look up what this, this scripture really says, um, I think you'll find like a honey hole of revelatory wisdom and goodness. You guys know that when, sometimes when there's weird language in a verse, it's almost like a, a little glimmer of gold, just like drawing you in. And when you start to dig around that glimmer of gold, you can find a vein of just heaven's riches that will change your life. This is one of those verses for me. And when you look at this verse in, in the Greek, um, the, the first word, know, and the second word, knowledge, are, are different words. So it's not that he's saying that you would know the love of God that's better than knowing the love of God. He's saying something a little bit deeper and um, he's talking about a different kind of knowing. It's the difference between experiencing him and knowing facts about him. Every problem in the world gets solved by this kind of knowing. Every problem that we face in life finds its solution in feeling his love in feeling his affection. So the first no is gnosko. 
<laughs> and the second no is gnosis or gnosis. It's where you get the term Gnosticism. It's when you think that you're saved by thinking the right things. But it's the difference between experience and facts. See, it's a fact that a lion's roar is loud and scary, but it will change your life if you stand before a lion while he roars at you. You'll never be the same if you feel his hot breath and that bellowing, thunderous voice shaking you to the core. So you could be a biologist and know all sorts of things about lions, but never be changed by the presence of one. See, it's the difference between owning a pager and being on a Zoom call. Okay, gnosis is like you have a pager. It's like, oh my goodness, someone wants to talk to me. But a Zoom call is a lot more like gnosko. You're actually experiencing someone face to face. You can see their facial expressions. And even better, of course, is a hug, you know, in person. Um, I, have a, I have an illustration. Babe, can you, can you come up here? Just stand right here. I want to talk about the difference between Gnosis and Gnosko. Stay right there. Okay. I love you so much. Do you feel super loved right now? Okay, that's Gnosis. Okay. Baby, you are beautiful and perfect, and I love you with all my heart. <laughs> and you got a great butt. <sighs> I'm sure that's all you're going to remember from this night. That, that pastor said something about his wife's bottom. Um, <laughs> See, Adam gnoscoed Eve, and they had a baby. <laughs> Adam knew Eve. It's the same word. This knowledge of God is meant to be so intimate that it produces faith and fruit. See, none of you parents got in here got pregnant by attending a sex ed class, did you? <laughs> right? I mean, you, it's important to, like, know how things work, but that's not how you make a baby. It's intimate love. That's what gnosko is. It's an experiential love so intimate and powerful that it produces fruit. See, you know that I gnosco Ashley because we have five shucklings running around here. <laughs> My last name's Shuck. We call our children shucklings, just so that you hear it right. <laughs> Little ducklings, but they're shucklings. Okay, so we have five of them. It's evidence that I gnosco her. Are you guys getting uncomfortable? Come on. <laughs> we are all adults, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on. First Corinthians 4.15 says that 
you have many teachers, but not many fathers. See, there's a difference between being able to say something that you know about God and being able to manifest God so deeply that it changes someone's life and they begin to produce and manifest God. It's the same, like, gnosis doesn't work when you want to go buy a car. So gnosis would be like, Um, reading a a car manual and thinking that's the perfect car for me and just going and buying the car after reading the car manual. Has anyone ever done it like that? You would have to be a serious analytical. (laughs) But no, you don't read a car manual and go buy a car. You have to get in that thing and test it out and see how comfortable the seats are and see the adrenaline that hits your system when you stomp on the gas pedal and see how it handles and maneuvers and see if it's the right fit. You are experiencing that car before you invest in it. You get to experience, you know, the benefits of having that car. When I think of the word benefits, I think of Psalm 103. It's one of my favorite psalms. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. And then he jumps right to you and forget not his benefits. So he goes to talking about how he's actually experienced the God that he's blessing, how he's enjoyed the God that he worships. And he starts to say, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with tender kindness and and tender mercies, loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your youth, your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. And he talks about how he's actually experienced this God that has changed his life. So he doesn't just know things about him, he has felt him. So what's better than me just being able to tell someone, hey, God loves you, is me loving them so much that they begin to feel their own value through the way I treat them. That they begin to understand that they're worth it. Part of the term worship means to ascribe worth. And so when, better than me just telling a stranger God loves you, which sometimes that's really important and powerful. Sometimes those are ordained moments, but better than me just saying God loves you, what if I just love them so much that they start to believe that they're worth something? I think that sometimes the, the things that we know about God, the, the gnosis, the things that we know about God are sometimes the biggest roadblocks to actually feeling his affection because we can teach ourselves out of encountering him. See, in the garden, Adam and Eve, we, we just knew we broke his rules. We knew we broke his rules and we deserved his retribu- retribution. That's what we thought, that's what we knew. And so we hid, not knowing that our father had already devised a way to win back our hearts that would cost him everything and us nothing. And in that moment, he would count his sacrifice as nothing compared to the joy of having us back in union with him. For the joy set before him, you are that joy. 
see, we just knew that we were God's enemies, and so we acted like it. Eric's saying about it tonight. Isn't that crazy? He had no idea I was preaching on this. Listen up, y'all. This is Colossians 1.21. See, we were enemies of God in our minds. And so we acted wickedly. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And God is in this position where he's thinking, what will it take for them to no longer believe that they're my enemies, but for them to believe they're my children who I would do anything for? See, he submitted to our abuse. He submitted to our accusation. He submitted to our rage and loved us through the whole ordeal. He forgave us as we forsook him. You guys are created in the image of God, right? God is love. You're made in the image of love. You're made to be love. You're made to be love in the world and you're made to receive love and give love. You are love. That's who you were designed after. If you were wondering, now you know. Like your identity, your ontology, like the essence of your being is love. But you might say, yeah, but we messed that up. And I would say, okay, yeah. What about the incarnation? What, what did Jesus do with his incarnation and his death and, and his resurrection? Didn't he, didn't he fix it again? And you might say, yeah, but I mean, you have to, you have to believe and receive. Well, you've believed and received, right? And, you, so, and so you're born again, right? And so are you love now? That's John 3, chapter 3. It says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus. And then John says it again in 1 John chapter 3. I think it's pretty interesting that he did it both chapter, it's chapter 3 in both of his books. Anyway, but he says um, in 1 John 3 that we are born of God's seed. So gnosko happened and we were reborn. When babies are born the first time, their skulls collapse, don't they? What if when we're born again, something similar happens and our skulls are collapsed again and something changes in our mind? Jesus was crucified in the place of the skull, wasn't he? Golgotha? the place of the skull. See, we thought that we were his enemies, but we're actually his children. He killed an idea that was never really a reality, but it was real because it existed in our minds. My uh, five-year-old daughter, Della, she like two weeks ago, I was, I was tucking all the girls in. Our three girls, they sleep in the same room. So Evelyn's nine, Jane is eight, and Della's five. And two weeks ago, I went in the room and Della said, Daddy, I can't sleep. I'm scared. There's a monster under my bed. 
And so, uh, I mean, she was kind of sheepishly told me she knew she was a little bit embarrassed. And I said, oh, honey, do you want me to crawl under there and see for myself? And she looked kind of surprised and also kind of scared, but also kind of happy and felt <laughs> loved that I would do that. I would go to the place where she had a fear that she actually feared something that didn't exist. And I was the good daddy who crawled under her bed anyway, even though nothing was under there. And when I got under her bed, of course, because I'm a dude, I screamed and shook her bed. And <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then I, I popped up smiling at her and all the girls started laughing and she like was scared and then she started laughing because she saw my face and I said, you want to come under here with me? And so she got down and she looked and as I like crawled all under her bed and like spread out just to show her that there was no corner or cranny underneath this bed where a monster could possibly be hiding. And two times since then, I've gone into the room to tuck in the girls, and the older girls now, they say, Dad, I think Della's afraid that there's a monster under the bed again, because they just want another experience like that. And so I crawl under the bed and shout, and we laugh. And so the thing that she was afraid of that never existed, I still addressed as a good dad. And now the thing that caused fear is a laughing matter in my whole family. Theology has created a lot of monsters under the bed that are not. But because we fear them, they exist in our minds. So the separation that we experience is between these two ears. But daddy will climb under every bed to show us that he never had to, but he gladly would to set us free from our fears. that we would go from knowing about God's love to experiencing the transformative power of his tangible embrace. <laughs> See, the Pharisees, they just knew things about God that would keep them from actually gnoscoing God they would know things about God that kept them from experiencing God. The Pharisees knew for certain that adultery was punishable by death, didn't they? And so what did they do when they found a poor young woman caught in the very act? They used her like a tool. And they brought their demonically empowered lawyer brains to a love fest. They brought... Mr. Law to Mr. Love. And who do you think would win in that moment? It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight or brass knuckles to a lightsaber fight. <laughs> a more elegant weapon. <laughs> so.
so they drag this poor girl out from their most shameful moment, and now it's intensified by fear. She's surrounded by these, law, these lawyer-brained, angry people that want to kill her, and they only want to kill her to use her like a tool to trap the guy that they hate because they're so blinded by their jealousy and their assumptions about God that they think that they're serving God by killing God. And Jesus got excited. He saw the opportunity to get them all back. See, what the Pharisees didn't realize in that moment is that they dragged themselves out of a worse place of adultery to the feet of Jesus to have an encounter with his mercy. And he stoops down and writes in the sand, And I was reminded of how he stooped down before to breathe into dust. And he stands up and says, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first stone. And they were marked forever in that moment. It's interesting wording in this part of John 8 because it says, specifically says from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones and walk away. Almost implying like these old guys, they're saying, I've seen it all, but I've never seen anything like this. And all of their anger is dismantled. All of, they're just, they're out of ammunition. They've never seen anything like this. They've never heard a rabbi speak like this. They've never seen someone love a sinner like this so much. And the old guys are dropping their stones and the young guys are seeing it happen and they're, they're all walking away. And then it's just Jesus and this woman alone. And he says, where have your accusers gone? Do you have any? Does anyone condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. There's none. See, we, we seem to know all these things about God's ways that fall apart when we experience God's love. I think that there's no way anyone in that crowd could ever forget that moment. Jesus not only redeemed that girl's life from imminent danger, but redeemed her completely. There's no way that she's living the same way she lived. And all those Pharisees, guys, <laughs> they're never going to be able to forget that moment. I have no doubt that I'm going to be high-fiving some of them on the crystal sea. Hey, Eric, will you come up? I asked Eric to play a song um, I just, I want us to feel God's affection again. There is a vast difference between knowing God loves you and feeling God's love for you. And I think some of us have gone for a little while without actually gnoscoing the love of God. Having the love of God touches so deeply that it 
produces fruit in our life. The fruits of the Spirit is joy. Love, joy, peace, patience. Jesus is so invested in us living a life of joy. He said, I've told you all these things so that your joy would be complete. So, um, a couple weeks ago, Eric was gonna do this song um, and uh, for some reason didn't get, a, get around to it in our set, but what was cool is um, I told him afterwards that I was going to preach from the very lyrics of the song that he was gonna sing. And then tonight, uh, unplanned, he, he begins to sing the lyrics about us being enemies of God in our minds. And, um, and so I wanted Eric to sing this song over us about the love of God. And, um, you know, let's just, let's just get with God. However you need to position your heart or body, if you want to kneel, stand, raise your hand, if you just want to sit there, I want you to access that place of encounter in him where you're just pointing your affection and your attention at him and just receive.
Thank you that you loved us when we were at our worst. You loved us first, and now we're able to love in return. Ask God for my friends in this room that our hearts would be transformed even more by feeling your love, by experiencing your affection. You're all we want, God.